It's Friday, April 2nd. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. So far, the trial of Derek Chauvin, the former Minneapolis police officer charged with murder and the death of George Floyd, has been very emotional. We have been shown lots of video of the incident and heard from compelling witnesses to the scene. Prosecutors are trying to argue excessive use of force, and the defense will say that Mr. Floyd's death was the result of heart disease and drug use. Shauna Chen, reporter at Axios, joins us for what we have seen so far in this trial, expected to last about a month. Next, many large companies are formulating their return-to-work plans as more people are getting vaccinated, and it's shaping up to be a hybrid model, with time split between the office and working from home. Some experts think this could pose extra challenges like giving preferential treatment to workers in the office, among other things. Jenna McGregor, writer at The Washington Post, joins us for how the hybrid office is here to stay. Finally, keep that vaccination card handy because it could be useful in getting some freebies. Companies are supporting efforts to get more people vaccinated and drum up some new business by offering a free donut a day in the case of Krispy Kreme or free joints in the case of one dispensary. Charles Passy, writer at the Wall Street Journal, joins us for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Our story, uh, it's its a classic story of uh, how many people get addicted to opioids. We both suffered from chronic pain. Mine was in my neck and his was in his back. Joining us now is Shauna Chen, reporter at Axios. Thanks for joining us, Shauna. Thank you for having me. This week, we started the trial of Derek Chauvin. He's the former Minneapolis police officer charged with the murder of George Floyd. We all know, you know, sparked weeks and months of protests across the country this past year. He's uh, being charged with second degree unintentional murder, third degree murder, second degree manslaughter. The prosecution started when their opening statements showing video. Video is a big part of this whole trial. There's a lot of video evidence to go through. Obviously, they're trying to make the case that Derek Chauvin used excessive force on this. For the defense on their part, they're saying that there's a lot of pieces of evidence in this case that led up to what happened. And they're trying to make the case that his death was caused by an underlying heart disease and use of drugs, fentanyl and the adrenaline flowing through his body. As I mentioned, we got a lot of witnesses, a lot of emotional testimony. So, Shauna, start us off at the beginning. What have we been seeing so far this week with testimony? Yeah, it's been emotional, to say the least. Uh, We've had a number of witnesses, many of whom broke down while they were questioned, cross-examined. Lots of images shown of the scene, video played back, which I think has heightened a lot of just the feeling, the general sense of what's actually going on in this trial. Prosecution, as you said, has been trying to show that George Floyd was indeed under duress as Chauvin kneeled on his neck. He was crying out. A witness said that he was crying out for his mother as he slowly kind of succumbed. And Chauvin, you know, on the defense side, they're trying to paint George Floyd out to be somebody who uh, was an opioid addict, which his girlfriend spoke about at the trial today. And kind of showing that George Floyd maybe isn't somebody to be trusted, that he had stuff in his system when this was going on that he could have acted out as an aggressor. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that, the drug use, because that is going to feature into the defense's side of things, saying that that contributed to him dying. Uh, Obviously, it all started 
with Derek Chauvin's uh, knee on the back of George Floyd's neck, but the, that's kind of what aggravated thing. And and his girlfriend Courtney Ross testified that they were together for three years. She shared a, a very touching story about how they met and all, but uh, she did say that they both struggled with opioid addiction. She talked about how they often, you know, used together and had kind of on and off periods of sobriety. He was hospitalized last year, March, so two months before he died. And she was there to kind of support him, help him come out of it. But she did also say that two weeks before the whole incident with Chauvin, he started using again. We also heard from the cashier who took the counterfeit $20 bill that George Floyd tried to pay for some cigarettes with. And, you know, a very emotional again. He expressed guilt even for saying, mm-hmm. I shouldn't have taken it and none of this would have happened. And that was kind of a, a theme that a lot of the witnesses, the bystanders that were there, really just pushing police to stop it and just feeling helpless throughout the whole thing. Regret and guilt have both featured heavily during the first week of the trial. The 17-year-old woman who videotaped the encounter, which then later went viral. She was also questioned and she broke down in court saying that she apologizes to George Floyd every night for not doing more, for not interfering. It was a very, very emotional moment. And throughout the week, even jurors have had to take a moment for themselves. There was another man who also testified as a witness. He was the one who spoke of George Floyd's crying out for his mom. And he was also sobbing, as he said, I understand him. I have a mother, too. So it's been really difficult. And for these witnesses to have to, like, go through essentially like a re-traumatization as they watch the footage, our question. And I think that's something that a lot of mental health experts have spoken about, how that's going to impact them. And many of them are black. So this is not necessarily something that is new to them, given the U.S.'s history of violence against black folks. We also heard from some paramedics and EMTs that were on the scene who said, basically, you know, we got on the scene and we thought he was dead there at the scene. Basically, they couldn't get a pulse. They took him onto the stretcher, put him in the ambulance and tried to resuscitate him. One of the officers, they even asked him to help with chest compressions. And they said that they could never regain a pulse. So that was one of the other difficult things to square away. You know, they were saying that they thought it ended there, basically. Yeah, one of the paramedics spoke of when they arrived, well, both of them talked about when they arrived at the scene. And the one who checked George Floyd said that he essentially thought Floyd had died when he arrived. But they did try to resuscitate him. They even went so far as drilling a hole in his leg to get IV access. One of the paramedics said that when he got there, he felt that it wasn't a welcoming environment and even talked about how there were raised voices, lots of bodies on top of Floyd. So they were both clearly kind of right there, right front of the scene. Shauna Chen, reporter at Axios, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much. We're all kind of so excited about the idea that we might not have to go back five days a week full time or many people feel that way. But I think people haven't stopped to really think about it's actually pretty complicated. Joining us now is Jenna McGregor, writer at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Jenna. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to getting back to normal, I guess you could say, whatever this new normal will end up being. We're starting to see a number of big companies 
kind of signal what they're going to be doing for the return to office plans. And it's going to end up being a hybrid model, much like what we saw with schools and things. They think that this hybrid model will be here to stay, you know, a few days at home, a few days in the office. And uh, some people think this could be a little more disruptive than just full on remote working, you know, which, you know, a lot of us had to do at the height of the pandemic. So Jenna, tell us a little bit about some of these companies making their announcements and why it could pose a problem. I think what we've started to see in recent weeks is some of the mainstream bellwether non-tech companies start to put a stake in the ground and actually commit to what they're going to do when they start to reopen. Really early on in the pandemic, we heard companies like Twitter and Zillow and various startups come out and say, you know, we're going to go to an all remote future. And I think there was a lot of, well, that's what tech is doing. What are the big mainstream companies outside of tech going to do? And there's been, you know, talk here and there, but really seeing some big names like Citigroup, Target, Ford, TIAA, the big investment firm, come out and say, you know, when we go back to work, everyone's not going to be in the office, but everyone's not going to be at home. So I think starting to see some of those names just really kind of makes it feel more real, makes it feel like it's actually going to happen. And so what are some of these changes that we might see? Obviously, the whole work from home model right now is kind of built around Zoom and Zoom meetings type of thing. But with people, some at home and some not, we're going to be seeing new video conferencing technology so that everybody feels like they're on the same playing field. One of the interesting ones, and I didn't really think about it, but managers are going to undergo extensive training so they can fight this kind of urge to give people in the office preferential treatment. And that just totally makes sense. You're in the office, somebody you see every day versus somebody you see on a screen opportunities might open up for that person. So that's something that will have to be dealt with as well. And then the logistical challenges of it as well. I I can imagine a lot of companies scaling back on office space because they don't need it as much. In a way, it's easier to shut down than it is to open back up. You made a great analogy at the beginning when you compared it to schools. Anybody who has kids in school and has been through the experience of watching their district try to figure out how to reopen knows that it was really easy to send everybody home. And it's a lot harder to kind of navigate, well, how do you have people in one room with you at a time and some people at home? How do you make sure that the right groups of people are together at the same time? And I think we're all kind of so excited about the idea that we might not have to go back five days a week full time or many people feel that way that I think people haven't stopped to really think about it's actually pretty complicated and it's not going to be a free for all where you're just like, oh, I feel like going in on Tuesday and Wednesday this week. You know, it's going to be more coordinated where your team is like we go in on these days or because you don't want to go there and have nobody be there, right? I mean, if you're going to go to the office, you actually need to have people there to make it worth it. You brought up the point of biases and potential discrimination. There's actually been some research done that found that managers did exactly that. They were more likely to promote or give big assignments to people who were in the office with them than those who are at home. I mean, if you're at home, you're going to miss those little side conversations that happen when you're coming in and out of meeting rooms. And so organizations are really having to rethink, how do we do this in a way where we're not going to potentially put people at a disadvantage? 
one of the companies too that was uh, talking about all of this was basically given a number to it also. I think it was uh, one of these law firms that said their number is about 60%. 60% of the time mm-hmm. should be spent in the office and the rest of the time you can figure it out uh, working from home. It's interesting. I mean, a lot of these these companies, I think, are starting to announce it, but they still haven't quite figured out how they're going to actually make it work. I mean, you know, it's going to be really easy. And I'm not speaking just about that law firm in particular, but to say something like that now, to say we expect 60 percent of your time to be at home and 40 percent in the office or 60 percent in the office and 40 percent at home. And we're going to measure it over the course of the year and not over a week. So I think it's going to be really easy in places like that if you have a big project and everybody's expected to be in the office for a few weeks at the time for that to quickly become the new normal again. One of the key things I heard reporting this story was just how important it was going to be to make sure that managers are home as much as everybody else. Because if you start having the CEO be in the office or having, you know, the C-suite be in the office, everyone else is going to come too. It's going to be obvious that's where you should be. And if they're not modeling it and role modeling it by example, then people are going to gravitate to where they are. Jenna McGregor, writer at the Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And I said, well, what, what would be the golden ticket here? What, what are you really looking for? And he said, free golf. This was, by the way, a 72-year-old guy who had gotten the free joint already and had gotten the free donut. So I was kind of <laughs> like, what's your holy grail here? And he said, there if somebody go. offers me a free round of 18 holes of golf. Joining us now is Charles Passy, staff writer at the Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Charles. Pleasure to be here. One of the best coupons that you can have in your wallet right now could be your vaccination card. There's a lot of companies around the country that are providing incentives to people that have gotten vaccinated. You show your card and you get a freebie. Right now, one of the top ones that a lot of people are talking about is Krispy Kreme Donuts. They're offering a free donut through the end of 2021, which is a long time still. And there's no limit on that. I mean, uh, one a day, I guess, but you can go from here until the end of the year. There's a little controversy behind that one specifically. But Charles, first uh, start us off. Tell us about why companies are doing this to promote the vaccines and everything? Well, I think there's sort of two obvious reasons. One is to encourage the vaccination process, you know, to encourage the rollout that's happening. And then the second is, frankly, it's good marketing for them. I mean, it gets them out there. It introduces them to customers. You know, I talked to some marketing experts who suggested that even if they give something away for free, and there's a cost to that for them, the customer who comes in, you know, when you get a Del Free donut, don't you want a cup of coffee? Well, Krispy Kreme is not giving you a free cup of coffee, or at least it's not specifically with this vaccine promotion. So it, it makes sense for the businesses as well. But the businesses say, first and foremost, this is a, about encouraging uh, vaccination. Krispy Kreme said that they already gave out 125,000 donuts in the first 96 hours that they started this promotion. So, I mean, the demand is high, and especially with Krispy Kreme, everybody loves those donuts. But there was a little bit of controversy with them, at least, because they said, well, you're encouraging people to go get donuts every day. That's not very healthy. And it really prompted, you know, the company, the CEO just recently spoke out to Yahoo Finance about it. Just to kind of say, hey, we're not expecting people to come and get a donut every day. It's just a sweet treat, something that we want to give out. And as you mentioned earlier, make sure people are getting their vaccines. 
their line on this has been that it's a, it's a treat. You do not have to you do not have to have the donut every day. Um, <laughs> right. that, they they've kind of uh, telegraphed that message. I couldn't help but think, nonetheless, that you know, because uh, one of the area, I, I actually put the promotion to the test. I've been vaccinated. I put the promotion to the test and went to a couple of Krispy Kremes, and I realized one of them was in a busy train station in New York City. And I thought to myself, well, if you are coming through that train station every day as a for commuting. You really might get the donut every day. I yeah, mean, so that's I mean, true. I, I suppose. But they said, look, they just wanted to make the offer available to people so that you know they didn't feel like you know they had to rush in at a specific time. They wanted to make the offer easy for people. Right. But yeah, no, I mean, there's clearly the poundage question here. Packing <laughs> on the pound is certainly part of this. Yeah, or whatever. I, I think most people will moderate themselves, but you know, we'll have to see at the end of the year how that one turns out. And you know, for all of this stuff, right? Wherever you're living. Check your local businesses. A lot of companies are doing this. Another one that was interesting, marijuana dispensaries. There's one in uh, in Wald Lake, Michigan, who's doing a pot for shots promotion. They said there that they've given away 6,000 joints as part of this. The owner of that dispensary in Michigan was actually very direct with me. He, you know, he pointed out that you know in Michigan and in a lot of other states, Dispensaries are somewhat limited in how they can advertise. States regulate advertising uh, very carefully. So he said this is very much about the promotional aspect. He has much fewer ways than traditional businesses do of getting attention. So, um, you know, he can't he can't necessarily take out all the ads he wants or blanket social media the way he wants to. So it's promotions like this that, you know, work for him. I, I asked him ironically, I said, so what was your last big promotion? And he said, well, one of the biggest we ever had was right in the middle of Popeye's chicken sandwich fervor. I guess it was a little more than a year ago or so. Right. He said, we were giving away free Popeye's chicken sandwiches. So they've gone away from free Popeye's chicken sandwiches to pot for shot. But it's definitely working for them. I mean, they're getting a lot of people in there. And as I mentioned, check your local area for all sorts of stuff. There's a free fries you can get. In San Francisco, there's a Midwest chain of arcades with bars in them that are offering free tokens for gameplay. So a lot of companies are trying to get in on this. Yeah. The one thing I would say that I think is kind of funny about all this is like, you know, I talked to somebody with that, the arcade chain that's giving $5 in free tokens. Uh, um, is you know, I talked to a customer there who went in and didn't even realize about the offer. I think this may be in some ways giving up to people that don't even necessarily aren't seeking it out i you know and i also wonder if you know i mean a, a donut costs whatever it costs a dollar two dollars the five dollars in free tokens i mean you know i don't know how much of it how exciting people are going to get about some of these offers especially as time goes on and especially if more people offer them but you know i mean i suppose all this is kind of harmless I talked to one guy who was collecting a lot of offers or as many offers as he could. And I said, well, what, what would be the golden ticket here? What, what are you really looking for? And he said, free golf. This was, by the way, a 72-year-old guy who had gotten the free joint already and had gotten the free donut. So I was kind of <laughs> like, what's your holy grail here? And he said, if somebody go. offers me a free round of 18 holes of golf with my vaccination, I'll be happy. So I'm hoping somebody reads that and, and offers this man a, a, a round of golf. Charles Passy, staff writer at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Sure. Pleasure to join you. Thank you so much. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright. 
and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.